buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. Welcome to The Sales Hustle, the only no BS podcast where we bring you the real, raw, uncut experiences from sales change makers across various industries. The only place where you can get what you're looking for to up your sales game. Today's episode is brought to you by SalesCast. SalesCast helps sales professionals transform the relationship building process and win their dream clients. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. All right, what is happening, sales hustlers? Welcome to another episode. I've got Corey all the way from London on today. He is an AE from G2, which most anybody in SaaS is familiar with G2. So we're going to talk a little bit about his success as a BDR and transition to becoming an AE. And we're also going to debunk some of the things that a lot of people think about that transition. So Corey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Colin. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, doing super well. Um, obviously here in London, um, very, very different times to you in the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, you're ending your day. We're just getting our day started. Um, but anyway, yeah, Corey and I met on LinkedIn, had a quick conversation. I think we were in, you know, mutual sales Slack group, uh, Rev Genius, and and uh, just kind of went from there and said, uh, I'd love to get you on the show and kind of talk about um, your success as a BDR and kind of the transition to AE. And I think that's a topic that a lot of people, SDRs and BDRs are always keen to hear more about. So tell, let's start with a little bit, just short version, like how did you get into sales generally? And then let's talk about some of your success as a BDR and we'll go from there. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I guess probably won't come as a surprise. Uh, sales was not a planned career move. <laughs> kind of fell into <laughs> surprise, it. Surprise, surprise. And I think I hear a lot of people doing that. Um, well, that said, like when I was, um, it's a bit of background, I've just finished university, so uh, college uh, for the US um, about a year and a half ago. So I literally started G2 four days after graduation. Um, mm. Before that, when I was planning my career, it was very much where do I want to go? Didn't have much of a clue. Um, got caught up with some some very good recruiters, not going to lie, um, that kind of pitched me the idea of a BDR role. And I always found tech very interesting and the idea of sales consultancy that at the time I thought were vastly, vastly different things um, mm -hmm. was always kind of on my agenda to explore. So I thought, you know what? Awesome, awesome, like thriving company, a role that seems to really interest me and in a space which is definitely going to grow. Um, let's give it a shot. And um, yeah, never look back. Mm, okay. So, um, yeah, it's obviously common. Most people don't plan on getting into sales. Um, so not surprised by that. Um, what, so let's talk a little bit. Okay. So, you know, fresh out of university, you get a BDR role. Um, was it what you thought it was going to be? Was it different? And tell me a little bit about that. So, um, I didn't have too many expectations, um, in the sense that when I was in university, I always, I kind of understood pretty early on that like, I love ingesting information, like that's all great, but if I don't really see a tangible kind of application of it, 
I increasingly got a little bit less interested. Um, so for context, I was doing a, a bioscience degree at university, um, which is great. Loved it, really interesting, but it was never as tangible as, um, as maybe it could have been. Um, so as soon as I hit the working world, and for context, G2 is my first job, quite simply, mm-hmm. I have much expectation, so to say. Um, I just really want to hit the ground running. Um, I think I was very much one of those stereotypical hungry BDRs that just wanted to get shit done, uh, just like the background you've got there. Um, and then, yeah, just I literally just whatever I could do, I wanted to do it. Um, kind of hit targets, make sure, but kind of just test my limits, right? Um, mm-hmm. So to answer your question, I didn't have too many expectations. Um, I didn't really know too much about what the BDR role was. And to be completely honest, I didn't really know even to the fullest extent once I even accepted the job. Um, at a high level, I knew it was going to be a, a great ride, and the people around me specifically were were super super cool, and I really knew I'd thrive around them. Mm. So something I like is that you didn't have much expectation, which I think is always a, a nice way to to go into something. I mean, you got to know a little bit about what you're signing up for, obviously, right? But yeah. but to not have an expectation really kind of sets the stage to have. Uh, have a good experience uh, with something just generally, uh, specifically in sales. Like even when you're doing your outbound activities, um, you know, I like to tell folks and even remind myself, like try to stay out of the outcome, right? And just really be mindful of the activity and what needs to be done in your role um, and try to have fun with it, right? Because outbound can get kind of... Um, can kind of wear on you, especially if you're really like tying yourself with to the outcomes or fully <laughs> focusing on the outcome, which tends to then lead to really like forcing people to the next yes, because you're so desperate to get to that next yes or the outcome. So how have you taken that same sort of mentality of like, okay, not having our expectation of going to the role and applied that to in like your sales activities when you were BDR? Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's, it's definitely important, right? To to your point, like you're always, I think, like one of the, again, it's probably an interesting topic. Like one of the main things I feel like is, is every sales rep is always incentivized to do more. Yes. When realistically that's, if we're going about the next yes, the next yes, we kind of, we fill into the stereotype of being a pushy sales rep that everyone hates and we're just pricks. Um, and obviously everyone's trying to change that stereotype in sales, but there are still obviously some people that, that fill it and that, that's why it exists. Um, so to your point, in terms of not having expectations, I feel like that's kind of step one, right? Um, not going in with expectations that they need our help. They probably, well, initially they probably don't. At least they don't realize they do. Yeah, I mean that that's that's where a lot of reps can 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 really go wrong is assuming assuming everybody needs your help, right? And not validating that, and assuming it could be your own assumptions based on like, hey, I think my product is great and everybody needs it, which. You can see where that's going to go wrong, right? Or even getting information from your prospect and not going deep enough and just, you know, being so excited that they're having some sort of positive reaction and not even validating that properly, which, you know, contributes to inaccurate pipeline and many other problems that um, a lot of sellers struggle with. Mm -hmm. So, but there's got to be a balance, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to focus on the outcome and be that pushy salesman that everybody is used to and expects. Um, but I do got to get some yeses, yeah. right? So how do you find balance in like, you know, getting the yeses, but not, you know, only focusing on getting the meetings or getting the yeses or getting the opportunities in the pipeline? Yeah, it's interesting because it's actually one of the things which I'm now really trying to focus on in my transition to the AE role from BDR because 
So in terms of the BDR role, what you're trying to get is is curiosity, right? You're not trying to get them to go, yep, yeah, send me a contract. Um, I'll give you 50K. Because <laughs> if you can do that and you can get someone to sign that over a cold call, then geez, great. Uh, but realistically, no, you're trying to get them. And at that point, that's when the yes comes in, right? So um, from that perspective, I think just being open to learning, right? Um, as soon as they mention something which is even vaguely interesting to the context that it could relate back to your product, kind of having that keen eye and rather, and this is one thing that took me a while to learn, but rather than going in, oh, we can solve that, kind of asking a little bit more about it, kind of, okay, well, you told me this, therefore, well, how, how does that play out right now? What, why is that something that you're caring about right now? And eventually, when I was kind of in the, kind of the latter days of my BDR role, you don't necessarily have to give a solution. If you can really make them feel the pain enough, you can almost make them take a meeting for anything. Um, and at that point then, at least from my perspective, it was my age job to then, again, kind of dig deeper and deeper and deeper to find the root cause of this and then eventually close out the deal. Um, so from a BDR perspective, that's kind of really how I went about it to get that yes. Um, in terms of the account executive role, and this is where, quite frankly, is where I'm, I wouldn't say necessarily struggling, but not as experienced and not as um, kind of apt as I would like to be just yet is that the yes from an A's perspective is like, yes, send me the contract, right? Or, or yes, we want to sign up. Yes, we can't wait to be a customer of yours. Um, and that relies on a lot more of that discovery part and a lot less expecting a yes, right? Mm -hmm. Yes almost comes towards the end. Um, so kind of patience, I think, is, is a big thing. So to your point, right, you, you've got to get to a yes. Otherwise, what's the point of being in sales, right? You're here to sell. You're here to make money. You're here to make money for the company. At the same time, you've got to make sure that you are kind of getting the right sales in. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I feel like as soon as you've done the discovery enough, right, even if they give you a no and you genuinely believe like, hey, why is that a no? You've basically got the information they've told you already as to why it should be a yes. And if they disagree with that, then they've lied to you or they've not told you the right information, in which case it shouldn't be a deal in the first place. Mm. So I love that you brought this up because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about, right? So... Um, and basically what I hear you're saying um, is, you know, the closing really is tied to the discovery and how successful you do that, right? Um, you'll get to the yes if the discovery was done properly and if you have enough information, right? So people always want to have like a silver bullet or like if they say yes, if they say this, I say that sort of rebuttal strategy. But um, sales is just much more dynamic than that. Um, and every, every, you know, you might have some customer profiles and you might have some similarities, but then you got different personalities, different business cases, different goals, different impacts. There's all these different variables that contribute to why you may or may not be the right fit for whatever it is that you're trying to, you know, solve for them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and also I think a lot of people often, um, in the discovery, they can, get the no and view that as a negative, right? Because there's two types of no's. There's no with a good validated reason, right? Like, hey, you know, let's just use, you know, use an example, Corey. Uh, sorry, we're not going to invest money in G2 this year because we already um, are in a long-term commitment with Capterra. Sorry. You know, we'll see how that goes. Check back at the end of that contract, right? So that's no with a validated good reason. Like the budget for that's what you do is already allocated somewhere else and they're in a long-term commitment that they can't get out of, okay? 
So maybe they have, and, 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 and maybe you could overcome that. Like if, you know, whatever they're using just totally doesn't work out and, and there's ways around that. But let's just assume, you know, hey, they're very conscious of their budget. They're not going to spend any more money in this space until they see through what they have. So that I would call that a no with a validated good reason. Um, that's not a negative outcome. Most people would think it is. Well, I didn't get the meeting. I didn't get the yes. I didn't get the interest. Okay. No, like the discovery is equally for the prospect as it is for you um, to determine like, hey, is this somebody worth spending my time on? Um, and if you have no with a good reason, then you know, hey, you know, put them on a follow-up, put them on a cadence, put them out. You know when they're going to look at this again and move them out and you don't have to spend your time on them, right? So then there's a different type of no. No, I'm not interested. No, um, I don't see the value in this, right? So no with like really not a really good reason, just kind of no because maybe they don't see the value in what you do or you haven't communicated properly. Those are people you still need to work on. Those are people that just, you don't have enough information to determine if they're a good fit or not, right? Um, I'd like to kind of challenge that a little bit. Yeah, not, not fully, but in, the heart. in terms of the people that um, say kind of along the words of like a no, not now, mm-hmm. they should still be worked. Yes. And again, maybe not immediately, like kind of really pushing them. Hey, look, but you're in a long-term commitment with CapTera, but why not G2 and CapTera? Which yes, it's possible, but not necessarily pushing that way. But I think the aspect of nurturing people like that is undervalued. And to be honest, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of criticizing this on myself as well, where I don't do this enough, whereby as soon as I get a no, and it's a genuine reason to your point, like, hey, look, we're ready in a long-term commitment. With mm-hmm. Seems like what you do is cool, but why not take that relation, like really build that relationship out and continuously kind of just drip feed value? Often, and again, got many examples to share this, even from the last month or so in, in here at G2, nurturing relationships of what something was going to be like a 10K deal, they didn't quite see the value, it wasn't quite the right time. Hey, look, they closed six months later at 50, 60K. Um, yeah. so it almost increases yeah. the deal size once you've built that trust with them. They know you really care about them um, as opposed to just there like, hey, look, I'll reach out in six months, then we'll see if you can make me money. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. And and maybe the G2 Captera wasn't the best example, right? Because those are products that could work together alongside each other. Like, you know, but let's say more of an essential service, like mm. their business phone system, right? You're not going to have two business phone systems. So no, not right now. I'm in a long-term contract means it's a prospect that you're not going to spend a lot of time or effort. Now, if the relationship is valuable enough nurturing that relationship is definitely needed. And that could be a couple of things, sending them email content, putting them on a nurture drip. That could be putting them on a quarterly check-in so that you're not that guy that just slides in, you know, two to three months before the contract, like, Hey, remember me? Um, you know, because those are the people that they tell are just in it for the commission check. Um, and then another simple task is just like, if, you know, most people these days, hopefully if you're not, you should be using LinkedIn sales navigator, um, you know, put those people on a list in sales navigator, go in there, see when they're posting, engage with their content, say something thoughtful. There's tons of ways to stay top of mind with those people that are no, not right now. Um, but what my point is, is like, no is not a negative thing, right? Mm. No with a good reason means, okay, I don't have to spend a lot of time and energy on you. Maybe there's, you know, uh, maybe there's a path to us doing business in the future and there's some really simple things that I can do to nurture that relationship. Um, but to kind of go back to this is there's two types of no's. There's no's with a good reason, 
And then there's no without a good reason. And the no without a good reason, you got to work those a little more. You got to put a little more time into that till you either get to a yes or till you get to no with a good reason. And then, you know, have that nurture sort of strategy around that. Um, but what I want to talk about is, you know, I would say you had a fairly quick path to BDR to AE. So what, why do you think that is? And what would you give the SDR or BDR out there that are looking for that same path? Um, and let's start with that. Yeah, sure. So um, I think I spent I think about a, a year and four months or so, a year and five months or so in, in the BDR role. Um, because that was both inbound and outbound together um, in, throughout the entire journey. So yeah, I guess relatively short, I think the average is around the two year mark. Um, but there's definitely a couple things which um, I think massively impacted that kind of faster trajectory. Um, first of all, when I started, there was again about a so three weeks before me, there was a second BDR that joined. We were the first two BDRs in, in EMEA for, for G2. Um, and we constantly work together. So I think everyone, well, not everyone, but there's a, there's a misconception sometimes in sales that it's a very kind of solo type career. Um, you've got your number, you've got your accounts, now go after them, go close them, make the money for the company and all good. Um, so with my colleague at the time, like we, in honest, even to this day, every single day constantly aligning on what's working what's not working um how can we make this better both in terms of cadences in terms of talk tracks in terms of how to build relationships um, and that was on a daily basis um mm -hmm. and that got us both to the point whereby we were performing much much better than a lot of the other bdrs more globally who had a lot more experience than us um again case by case right at that point i think we both grew a lot lot quicker just by bouncing off each other um literally on a daily basis um, so first of all, I fully recommend that to any any potential BDRs out there listening to this. Um, you really want to kind of hit their career as quickly as they can. Just constantly work off people that you know are cleverer than you, or at least have better ideas and different ideas to you. Um, make make the most of it for sure. Um, mm. In terms of the next thing, I think there's um, an aspect of it whereby not necessarily of, of kind of right place, right time, but. G2 is a globally expanding business. Um, it was right at the opening of the EMEA office. Um, and the fact, again, I guess of a consequence of the fact that my colleague and I in BDR um, were so successful and the fact that our AEs at the time were so successful and that kind of the market was adopting our products so much better than maybe initial expectations, um, rated. So that part, I guess, is, is right place, right time, right? If there's no job for you, you can't kind of necessarily create a job. But to that point, you kind of can create a job, right? Um, and this is kind of one of the, I guess, our VP of Amir at G2 that, that mentioned this, kind of becoming positively dispensable. And I, I just love that term, whereby you become less useful to the business because you're doing so well. They almost have to promote you into a new position in order to get that most value from you. Um, so in a kind of so, a how, do you, so yeah. how do you do that in a BDR role? Great question. I don't, really, don't think I've got a the perfect answer at all. It's still something I'm kind of trying to reflect on and, and see how it uh, it got to that stage. Um, but to be honest, I think one of the main things I was doing is that even um, so, it must have been about four, four or five, about four months or so let's go before I got um, eventually the promotion to a, to a growth account rep. Um, I was already running demos every now and again. So obviously, alongside existing AEs, where to be fair, they were they were kind of controlling it. Right. But I was already starting to kind of hone my skills of what my next job that I wanted would be um, mm -hmm. to mean that as soon as I hit that job, 
it was almost not necessarily a no-brainer, but my, my manager now knew at the time that, hey, look, he's had practice. He knows, a little, he knows the product pretty well already. He's been through the BDR role. So that part's ticked off. In terms of the next steps of how to take kind of rather than just prospecting, prospecting and selling, I've already had a little bit of exposure from that perspective and I've proven myself out in, in a variety of different ways. Um, so I'd say that's probably the, the easiest thing you can do in terms of making yourself positively dispensable. Um, it's basically showcase that you already can do the next role um, with a little bit of experience added on, with a little bit of training added on, but you're already showing the signs that it's not going to be a leap of faith for your manager. Mm, I like that. So, so you know, taking on the challenge of some of the things that you know are in that next role um, and just being a little bit more proactive, right, about showing that, hey, I have the skills for that next step. Yeah, I think um, everyone's always talking about kind of be hungry in the role, right? Be hungry to go out to get prospects, but why not be hungry internally? Be hungry to get the next role as well. Be hungry for your own career progression, not just to go out and get more business for the business, right? Um, I think it works both ways. Yeah, no, I like that. All right, so tell me, what are some of the common um, things that a BDR or SDR thinks is going to happen when they become an AE. Yeah. So yeah, one of the, the big ones that definitely hit me hard um, was the idea that, hey, look, if I can get someone on a cold call, that's probably going to be pissed off because I've called them at the wrong time and they've got what else going on and sell them the idea and the vision of my product and get them to accept a meeting, that that's the hardest part done. That was one of my mm. misconceptions. Um, not the, the, the quickest or the longest part, but one of the easiest parts, or sorry, one of the hardest parts to do, um, which don't get me wrong, it is tough to cold call, especially kind of getting on the phone to start with. Once you're in the rhythm, it's great, whatever. Um, but I thought that kind of then from that stage, it would be not necessarily plain sailing, but the product would speak for itself. Um, and I guess I undervalued the, the way, the kind of the impact an actual salesperson would have on influencing a deal. Right. Mm. Um, so that's one of the biggest things I've learned, right? Kind of how to hone in, even just tweaking different things of messaging and how to actively listen and not just have, like you mentioned earlier, this cool kind of, to an extent, set responses, right? Um, whereby, oh, they've mentioned this, therefore I must reply with, with why. Um, kind of really digging in, digging in, digging in to find the real cause and then giving honest answers um, is a big thing I've had to learn to um kind of be very personalized in my sales approach in terms of the sales process rather than just the, uh, the prospecting side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And what about, um, do you think it's common that a lot of SDR BDRs think like, okay, I'm not going to have to do as much outbound now. It's a fun one. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Um, it's not the case for me because I technically don't have any BDR support. Um, we've got a couple of inbounds coming in that have worked from our, from our BDRs as well. And I get tip with smaller companies, which often more the ones that come in about. Um, but I still have a lot of prospects to do. Majority of my pipe is still sourced by myself. But yeah, no, I think it, it definitely would be a misconception whereby, yeah, you might have one, two BDRs working alongside you to help support your pipeline. Um, but fundamentally, and it's the same at G2. Often pipeline sourced by an account executive them, themselves closes, at least at G2, closes faster closes at a higher rate and a more and a, and a higher value as well. So yeah, there's always that. And again, the numbers don't know, right? If I can prospect one deal or, or a BDR can prospect two, 
if, the, if my deal closes higher and more successfully and quicker than the two deals that potentially might close later on, then, hey, let's, it's a no-brainer to try and go for my own deals as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it, you know, maybe it, it doesn't sound like it's the case for you, but I think it's common that a lot of SDR, BDRs thinks like AE, I, I won't have to do as much uh, top of funnel uh, outbound activity. Um, but I know that that's not necessarily the case. And mm. you definitely can't live only on your BDR, SDR leads. You definitely, but it gives you, it just, it does free you up, right? So like, it's very common, like you said, a lot of the inbound is going to be lower, uh, smaller deal size uh, activities and typically um, not close as high of a rate. So it does free you up to then like, you know, mm. kind of split your time. Okay, I've got these, you know, smaller deals that I can work, that I can close a certain amount of these on a, you know, weekly or monthly basis. And then it gives you some time to dedicate to those longer deal cycles, those larger opportunities. Um, and I'm a big fan of splitting up the time and making sure that you're focusing on both and not just going all in on mm. one or the other. An interesting point as well. I mean, um, again, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know if it's a natural trend, but a lot of the kind of the most successful account reps that we have here in EMEA um, almost miss prospecting as much in the sense that they miss kind of just going after brand new people, brand new contacts and accounts to get them to actually just not to say yes, but say, yeah, fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll take half an hour to listen to you spiel. Um, missing that, I wonder whether that's got a direct correlation with how successful you are as an AE, whether you kind of build up that love for prospecting and kind of that thick skin, I hate. Um, basically, that again, that resilience to get 10 no's before you get a yes can really um, kind of help you be a much more successful AE. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, that would be the case for me. I, I, I mean, I love doing outbound. That's probably my most favorite part of the sales process is just cold outbound. Um, What's your favorite channel? I just, the phone. Fine. The phone, man, for sure. I mean, I don't consider myself a great copywriter. So, like, you know, I'm okay at email. Um, LinkedIn is definitely my jam. I've had some really good success on LinkedIn. Um, you know, the problem with LinkedIn is tons of people are using LinkedIn, you know, it's just like the high pressure salesperson, right? So when you call on the phone, people are going to expect that. But when you're just more curious and really have like a place of serving and helping, um, it's refreshing and different, right? But now LinkedIn and, you know, everybody's jumping on LinkedIn. Everybody thinks, you know, LinkedIn and they're sending, you know, lots of spam and connections and like kind of ruining it. Um, but there's a way where LinkedIn can be super successful. Um, you know, you can create more conversations and take the conversations offline um, and try to add value in, in many different ways and engage. Um, so LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn as a channel, um, but you know, you could take every channel away from me. And if I had the phone only, I'd be totally happy and, and, and could just jam on that completely. Um, I love that. And have fun with it. I'm curious. You know, have fun with it. Yeah, what, what's your standard opener? I have a couple. So uh, I like to use the permission based, obviously, like, hey, Corey, um, you know, whatever my opener is. And then, you know, I know I might have caught you uh, as an interruption. Do you have about 20 seconds so I can tell you why I called? Um, but my favorite, my really favorite, and this is not original. Uh, I stole this from somewhere. I think maybe somebody on LinkedIn said this. I can't remember. Maybe it was somebody from the podcast. Um, I don't know. Somebody somewhere deserves credit for this. But um, my personal favorite is, oh, hey, Corey, you know, this is a cold call. And so feel free to hang up if you want. But if not, you have about 20 seconds so I can tell you why I called. Um, so there's a couple different ways you can go with that. Um, I even like to just tell people, hey, this is a cold call. And trust me, I hate making them more than you hate receiving them. But if you don't mind, you have about 20 seconds so I can tell you why I called. And if not, feel free to hang up. And people laugh at that. Um, it's different. It stands out. 
Um, I mean, the big, the, the big thing with any channel is you need to be different. You need to stand out. You need to pattern interrupt. Um, don't do what everybody else is doing. So maybe look like, you know, um, look at what people are doing, right? So see what people are doing and then think about like, how can I be different? How can I do this different? How can I stand out? Whether that's using video, whether that's using a little bit of humor, um, you know, like I have a email campaign that I did that, you know, had a lot of success and it was, it started with, you know, I was looking for a joke specifically for the insurance industry. And I came across the fact that like a big department store here in the U S used to sell life insurance. And I thought that was funny. So the opening line of the email was, Hey, I was looking for a cheesy joke to use in this email and came across this. And like that for some reason stood out for people. I don't remember what it said exactly. Um, but you know, I just told them, the truth of like, Hey, this is what I was doing. And here's what I stumbled across. What are your thoughts? And then, you know, went into, and with email, you know, email, whatever channel, whether you're on the phone, whether you're on um, email, whether you're on LinkedIn, like short and sweet to the point works. Um, but stand out and be different. Yeah. I'm that last thing you mentioned there is awesome as well. Um, and I didn't appreciate this enough early enough into my kind of BDR career in the sense that short and sweet people, especially if they never met you or never heard of you. They probably don't care. They just want to oh, get to the point. Not probably. Yeah. They definitely don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's be real about it. And um, yeah, and and you can even take it further than that. Like, not only do they not care, they don't care about you. They don't care about your product. They don't care how long you've been around. They don't care what award you won. They don't even care about your G two reviews. <laughs> 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 not initially, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. When they get further down and they're like really evaluating, they care about some of that stuff, right? But to s- just throw all that stuff up in an email or a LinkedIn DM or in your cold call script when they don't know who the heck you are is totally pointless. It's useless. It's what everybody else is doing. And they're tired of hearing it. Mm. No, for sure. Um, and to honest, I've, I've started, um, it's weird because again, I've got, um, <laughs> funny story, in my, uh, in my LinkedIn um, profile, I mean, I'm a growth account executive here at G2, which basically means I work with the small nifty startups that are really looking to disrupt the world. Um, that said, I think through a lot of the, the algorithms of different BDRs, potentially through Sales Navigator, through advertising, take growth as a growth marketing role. Um, so increasingly, I've been prospected quite a lot. Um, and I think one thing that, again, I wish people did more to me when I was a BDR and I've been trying to do with these BDRs as well is just give them feedback. Yeah. First of all, I'm the hella wrong person for these people to be prospecting. Tell, let them know why and what they've probably done wrong. But I got an email, for example, um, I think it was yesterday. The guy literally spilled off, um, hey, this is who we are. Um, look, I've been asked to, to look into G2 and if they've been needing any different kind of fraud things or not. Um, very very kind of generic this is this is who we are this is what we do and i was like you know what first of all i already know about this company so it's fine um but hey look you've completely missed the point i think if any relevant person would have read that email no reply so give them feedback I, I, i'm starting to really do this a lot more like just let the bdr know like, hey, look, why did it really miss the mark and and help them get into more conversation with the right people and avoid bugging the wrong people right mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that mm-hmm. no yeah, I have a ton of thoughts on that. Um, feedback's a great topic, right? And um, I'm a big. Here's one thing that I believe um, 100% is the feedback from the people you don't do business with is more valuable than the people you do business with, right? So you know the people you do business with. 
They're your customers. You have a relationship with them. They went with you. They found value in what you do. Let's assume you're doing everything right. They're happy. I mean, what are they going to tell you to be better? Nothing. Right? They might tell you the greatest thing and they might write you a fantastic G2 review. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, now, the people that didn't do business with you, they have a reason. Right? They have something that could possibly make you better at what you do. Maybe you were too pushy. Maybe they were confused about something. Maybe they feel that they weren't heard. Maybe they feel that you wasted their time. Um, you know, there's tons of reasons uh, that somebody who didn't do business with you can give you something that maybe you can learn something from to be better in your sales role. And people want to, when's the right time to ask feedback? Uh, anytime. Beginning of the sales process, middle of the sales process, deals that went dead. Going back to those people with genuine intention of like, hey, Corey, you know, we had some interaction. You expressed some interest at some point. I'm just trying to get better at my job. If you don't mind, could you just give me a little bit of feedback of why, you know, you chose to not go this direction or, you know, why we didn't do a good enough job to earn your trust or even take it further and be more authentic and say, hey, you know what, Corey, it looks like we dropped the ball and I'm just trying to learn where we went wrong. And I was hoping you could help me so that I can be better in the future. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, is a lot of those people will end up back in your pipeline um, because they're like, hey, it's nothing you did wrong. It was just bad timing. Oh, great. You know, when should we pick this conversation back up? Or they might say, you know what, Corey, you just freaking called me too much. You know, you were too pressure. You pressured me too much. I told you I wasn't interested for these reasons. You didn't listen. Or maybe you're a SaaS company. You showed me a bunch of features that didn't apply to me. So I didn't feel like you were the right fit. Like they might, you never know what they're going to say. Um, but all of it is good. If it's like, hey, they were misinformed and you can clear that up and get them back in the pipeline. Great. If it was a timing issue and you did everything right. Great. You're back in conversation with them. Or they give you something super useful that you weren't aware of. That you're like, hey, maybe that's something I need to be more aware of. Maybe that's something I can be better at. Maybe that's something that I shouldn't be doing or saying, or, you know, all of it is good. Mm. All of it is positive, regardless of what they tell you. Yeah. It's one thing that I think that a lot of reps and myself included in that, um, don't ask enough of It's from the prospects themselves, as opposed to colleagues. I mean, I say a lot of, at least everyone that I'm around is always asking for feedback from, from me, from people they're working with, from management, from the BDRs, et cetera, but the actual prospect themselves, not as much. Um, and actually give me a great idea. I mean, to be honest, like when I started my e-roll back in November, Jesus Christ, did I completely screw up some of those calls? <laughs> yeah. Like absolutely yeah. smashed them into the ground. And obviously that's a great chance now. Quick email. Hey, look, I thought this could work. I thought you guys had great potential in G2. Obviously something that I didn't do great or something that I didn't know. I'd love to learn more about what, what I could have done better and, and hear your feedback, Mr. And Mrs. Prospect. Oh, and we, we do this a lot, myself and my team, um, and you'd be surprised. I, I would say 50% of the time the prospect is confused about something because sometimes you got to tell people something three times, three different ways for them to fully grasp it, right? Um, and maybe you didn't do a good enough job explaining a certain thing or they didn't grasp it or they were multitasking and weren't even paying attention in your demo. Whatever the case is, uh, a lot of times you find that like these things are really easy to fix and uh, you can get back in conversations with them. Um, but um, what's interesting is 
so what you said is very common, right? Most people ask their colleagues for feedback. Hey, what do you think about this email? Oh, Corey, it's freaking awesome. Send it, right? Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful of who you're asking feedback. Are they just going to always tell you what you want to hear? Like, Hey, you're the best dude. You're crushing it on your cold email game. Like it's freaking awesome. How'd you come up with that? Right. Um, you got to set the proper expectation when asking feedback, like, Hey, Corey, you know, I want to send you over this email. Tell me what you think. You know, it's a really important email. It's a huge deal. I've been working on just want to get a second set of eyes on it. But just, just, just so you know, like, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like I want your honest feedback. If it absolutely sucks, tell me that, you know, so you got to like ask because people are so used to not wanting to create conflict or not hurt people's feelings and stuff like that. And especially in a colleague space, right? Because then there's politics and all kinds of stuff. So even being part of different sales groups, like Rev Genius, Sales Stack, you know, uh, Modern Sales Pros, like there's a ton of them. Right. Being in groups like that where you can get feedback who ha- from somebody who generally is just there to get better themselves and help others. Those are super valuable um, because your colleagues aren't always going to give you the real honest feedback 100 percent of the time. Maybe you're lucky, but that might not always be the case. Yeah, no, I think I'm taking back with the colleagues I've got. But I agree. It's not always going to be the case. And even then, again, us Brits. <laughs> always even know for the stiff upper lip that will always say oh yeah it's great it's going well um when it could be absolutely crap um that's yeah. a stereotype maybe of, of the uk people but i think it's true and i'm one of them so yeah i mean if your colleagues are telling you it's great every time call them out on that yeah. be like dude no, it's not great every time and it's okay to tell me it's not great all the time mm. like give me the real stuff that i need to hear to be better mm. but i think also built on that like once you do get that seriously candid feedback probably it'll hurt right um, yeah but i think kind of actually appreciating it and almost kind of just continuously thanking that person for actually being so candid with you will go a long way as well because then that will open up their own so-called kind of pre-judgment of oh i don't want to give someone this such candid feedback because they're going to tell me to go away and it's not true and yeah. kind of really open up and make everyone a bit more direct and a bit more just yeah just open um i think it'll go a long way yeah, yeah. So if you get that feedback that hurts, let them know like, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, uh, create that safe space to get more future feedback that sucks and hurts. I think <laughs> as well, importantly, right? I think, and again, I'm, I'm one of those that's kind of never really wrote down too much of my feedback. I kind of hear it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then I kind of maybe act it out in the next kind of different calls and whatnot. And then it kind of, it, it kind of fizzles out, right? I think particularly with that type of feedback when it's so hard to take and actually, to an extent, so hard to give. Um, because it does create that conflict. As long as the person receiving fully acts visibly on that feedback, I think that even gives the person that's giving the feedback more confidence they can do it again. Um, yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Well, Corey, thanks so much for coming on today. Appreciate it. Um, let people let people know where they can find you, connect you, or anything else you want to let them know, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So, um, I mean, LinkedIn's my best channel, <laughs> both for prospecting and for uh, for getting in touch with me. So, uh, full name is Corin to Lindsay. Um, it's a mouthful, but if you type in Corey, you'll, you'll find me. Um, and yeah, at G2. So yeah, feel free to connect with me. Um, and if you think that anything I've said is you agree with or you want to challenge, um, I'd love to hear uh, anyone's thoughts and reach out. Yeah. Or if you have some honest feedback. Exactly. Any honest feedback. I love it. Uh, Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Sales Hustlers, if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, write us a review, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. 
Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready, set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.